Canada is four years on when it comes to legalized cannabis here in our country. So what is working and what needs to be reviewed in regards to marijuana policies? I'm going to get into this conversation with our next guest, who is the executive director at the Retail Cannabis Council of BC. Jacqueline Bahoda is joining us. Jacqueline, thank you so much for making the time. Thanks for having me. So I want to talk about how things have changed since cannabis was legalized in the last four years. How different do things look today compared to the first year of legalization? Well, I mean, the progress from year one to year four has been, you know, hugely significant. Um, I think that your listeners will remember that we rolled out cannabis legalization in B.C. with, I believe, um, two stores that were open uh, in 2018, and now we have you know 443, I believe, uh, licensed private retailers across the province. So that's that's a significant change there. Uh, it's it, it certainly has taken, I think, uh, I think the retail market by storm. Uh, there are, are certain areas in Canada where it seems as if you know you drive down the street and you see several cannabis stores that are open. Are they are they all making money? Are they turning a profit, or are we oversaturated? Um, you know, that's a really good question. I think that, you know, there are a lot of concerns in, you know, various municipalities about license density. So the number of stores that we see in, in you know, um, cities and towns across the province. Um, and I think that, you know, there are some significant challenges in terms of, you know, the um, state of the cannabis market in BC specifically. So, you know, we talked about the expansion, some of the wins, like some of the changes for your listeners, um, like edification are, you know, to-the-door delivery, that's legal. So, you know, you can order cannabis and then have it delivered in the same way that you'd have, you know, um, a restaurant delivery or a liquor delivery to your door. Um, and, you know, there's a number of other tools that have come to us um, in the last four years. Um, but there is still, you know, a long way to go. I think that that's the best way to put it. Um, and I'm not sure if oversaturation is the right way, but I think that what we need to do is really think about the distribution of the stores rather than the number of them. I think that's more important. Can you elaborate on that, what that would look like in a, in a perfect world? Well, I think in a perfect world, what we would see would be a, um, you know, numbers of stores that were based on the density of people in BC. So, you know, picking a number that we thought was appropriate. So, like, we want one store per, you know, X number of citizens, adult citizens. And then, you know, looking at that number and saying, okay, you know, that number is, and I don't know what that number is. So, if that number is like 500, <laughs> 600, 1,000, not sure what it is. Um, you know, and then looking at that and saying, okay, um, you know, we have this number of stores so let's make sure that, you know, communities that aren't being served right now. So examples I give are Surrey and Richmond in the Lower Mainland. Currently, nobody who lives in those municipalities has any access to legal cannabis because they don't have any legal storefronts right now. So, you know, looking at municipalities like that and saying, oh, wow, that's a big gap. That's like 750,000 people that can't buy legal cannabis, you know, in their own municipality. And thinking, you know, is that really a positive thing? And then, you know, looking at other jurisdictions that might have lots and lots of licenses. Um, Vernon is a good example. We have like, you know, a significant number of, of stores. So that distribution becomes, you know, kind of you start to scratch your head. You're like, oh, why is there almost a million people in one area that don't have access? And then there's, right. you know, smaller communities that have tons of access. Right. So what are licenses dependent upon? Is it population? Is it location? Is it just throwing a, a, a pin at a map? I mean, how does this work? 
<laughs> well, that is a very good question. It's a complicated answer. Largely, it's due to um, you know cities and where they would like to see these locations. So there are lots of cities across BC that have you know specific bylaws on the books that say you can you know have a cannabis retail space you know if it meets X Y Z criteria, um, and then there are other cities who have said we don't want this in our boundary. Right? We're we're just not interested in participating in you know this project. So I mean those are the those are the main things. It is mostly up to you know our, our municipal mayor and council to say you know we welcome this and we, we want to integrate cannabis into the community in a way that works for everybody. And so how are we going to do that? And I think that you know one of the challenges of legalization for BC was it actually happened just after a municipal election cycle, just like we have right now. So that was a that was a, that was a, a bit a bit of a sticky wicket for getting all of what I'm describing you know sorted out for legalization coming to pass in 2018. I'm curious in those uh, jurisdictions where cannabis is uh, is not legal and not available, uh, then what does that do to the the underground illegal market? Uh, it honestly, it is it it is a, a gift from heaven to our illicit operators. So, you know, when we have big big sections of people who don't have access, you know, people make purchasing decisions for a lot of reasons. But I like to summarize it in like three, right? Like it's you know quality, the price, and then the convenience of the product. So if you have an option as a consumer to pick something that is you know maybe the same price and the same quality, but you know, one is much more convenient for you to access, the likelihood is you're going to choose the one that's convenient to access. And so if there are no storefronts, you know, you really are dependent on maybe an illicit operator, somebody you knew from the, you know, the before time, or uh, somebody you saw on a, on, a, on a phone pole or something like that. There's lots of delivery websites. Um, and so I think that, you know, these, we call them access deserts. So these big swaths of communities that don't have access, I think, really perpetuate pushing people into the unregulated market, which remains a really big challenge in British Columbia. We still you know, are struggling with that market capture, trying to make sure that legal cannabis is the choice that the public is making. Well, cannabis has been legal in Canada for four years, believe it or not. So what is working and what needs to be reviewed when it comes to marijuana policies in our nation? We're talking right now to the executive director at the Retail Cannabis Council of B. BC, Jacqueline Bahoda. And Jacqueline, we've been talking about the different approach in different jurisdictions in terms of cannabis availability. Do you think that we need a, a nationwide approach or at the very least provincially? What do you think would work better than the current system that we have? Um, you know, I think that the there's a couple of things that we might want to adjust our thinking on from a national perspective. Uh, you know, federally, I think is a very important uh, point. Um, so there's a couple of things you asked, you know, what's, what's not working with legalization in Canada right now? And I can point to two things that are, I think, are pretty significant. Um, one is the current limits on um, edible products are very, very, very low. So, um, you know, a 10 milligram dosage per package, which is, you know, like that's a, a very small, um, a very small dosage of THC. Um, comparatively, you might look into the illicit market and see something in the neighborhood of, you know, between 100 and 200 milligrams of, of product, you know, in those edible cannabis products. And I understand that, you know, the rationale behind that is obviously we want to make sure that, you know, kids are not getting a hold of these edible cannabis products and then becoming intoxicated. But I think that it's unfortunate that that low dosage limit actually, I think, drives consumers into the unregulated market. 
because they're mm. expecting a certain kind of product form factor and they're not able to get that in the legal system. So, you know, that I think would be a huge, um, you know, I think that that is a lot of stigma as well, because I think that part of the rationale behind, you know, wanting to quote unquote keep cannabis away from kids is, you know, that's, that becomes a social conversation with parents about, you know, controlling these products in the same way that we control other, you know, tempting and delicious things that kids might want to get into, like, you know, cream-based like liquor products, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that that's a... I'm curious, Jack, and I just want to clarify then when you're talking about the amount of THC that's included in an edible product, are you talking about the amount that's able to actually be put into that product or the the amount that, that a consumer is actually able to purchase or is it both? That's the amount of product that's in a single uh, package of product, not the amount that a consumer can purchase. So a consumer can purchase uh, the up to the equivalent of 30 grams of cannabis product okay. in a store. Um, but as I said, that single, that low dosage means that edible cannabis products in the legal system are quite low strength, but quite expensive. So the, um, the, the, um, draw for the consumer is not, you know, particularly significant. And what we've seen happen is that the unregulated operators have really moved into that niche and they're, it's really driving the unregulated market as like higher dosage edible cannabis products. And what we're seeing as a result of that is um, actually increased exposure because we see, you know, kids getting a hold of these higher dosage products through the illicit market and then becoming intoxicated and going to the emergency room. So I would really like to see, you know, those in- limits increased so that we could properly regulate and restrict access um, in, in the same way that we've done with dried cannabis flour and other products. So, I mean, this is still a relatively new legalization. I mean, it's only been four years. Are there conversations uh, that are happening in terms of increasing those limits to or, or to create change in the areas that you think it needs to be done? Well, you know, it's funny you should say that because there is actually an operational review of the Canadian Cannabis Act that is happening right now. And there is a public consultation component that's open until, I believe, November 20th. Uh, so your listeners can go uh, Google, you know, Cannabis Policy Canada and actually give their opinion to um, our regulators at the federal level right now. Um, so, you know, that review was you know, has been expanded to include things like edible dosage limits that we were just talking about. Um, and a, a number of other considerations. So I'm hopeful that our regulators will, you know, hear industry's feedback on what we have done. Uh, you know, say, say, hey, these things are really working and these things are not working so well. So let's, you know, make an effort to change them. Because I think that we, what we need to remember is at the end of the day, the stakes for this are, and the opportunity for uh, legal cannabis in Canada is is really, really high, right? Like we are protecting public health and safety as well as generating, you know, potentially significant tax revenue. So, you know, ensuring that we're optimizing that opportunity and, you know, the regulations that we have around the sale and production of cannabis are, you know, reasonable and, you know, supportive of both public health and safety, but also a healthy sector, I think is the balance that we're working on right now. I think that that's the project that regulators and the industry are, are, are trying to get. Yeah, we're trying to get to that place right now. I think the opportunity too for uh, for a, for you know the creation as well, uh, the farming industry, the, the manufacturing side of it. What about what about that component of of it, Jacqueline? What about farming? Do we need to do more in the area of, of regulating it, of allowing more licensing? Where does that stand in terms of us being ahead of the curb or needing some more work to be done? Uh, yeah, you know, I would say that the first thing we could do, and this is something that's actually very kind of interesting, is that cannabis, when you 
uh, conduct that activity, even though you're, you know, it's a farming activity, you're not legally farming. It is not, doesn't, isn't included under the Farm Act, which is covers all the other kinds of agricultural activities, like, you know, growing apples, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, these people who are growing these plants are not able to access the same, you know, support programs and, you know, benefit programs that regular farm farmers are able to access. So that has proven quite challenging for small-scale cultivators. And I think that, you know, in terms of the opportunity that cannabis presents, you know, British Columbia has this, you know, international reputation that we have built up over the last, you know, 40 years for having the best cannabis in the world. And I think that, you know, supporting small farmers by recognizing that they're, you know, farming and that, you know, cannabis, well, it needs to be controlled, is at the end of the day just a plant. Um, you know, and really, you know, focusing on, you know, the, the um, future by framing it as, you know, a tourism opportunity and, you know, for, for, for the benefit of all British Columbians. Uh, because I, I don't think that there's any reason that we couldn't, if we had the right, you know, regulatory framework, replicate the very successful craft beer and wine, you know, craft brewery and winery model that we have in British Columbia right now, which we know people come from all over the world to visit. Sure. I think, yeah, cannabis tourism is, is another sector that it remains untapped in our country and could be a huge industry. Do you think that, I, I mean, I think to get there, we need to address stigma. Do you think that stigma has has changed at all? Do you think that we've made some headway there? I would anecdotally think that we have, but from your perspective, I'm curious, Jacqueline, what do you, what do you think? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, the my my I'm, I, I'm my own litmus test in this particular instance. So <laughs> I think of the look that people used to give me when I said that I, you know, was the executive director of a retail a cannabis retailers association in 2019 versus today, and I would say that you know almost no eyebrows go up. I think that the the general public in Canada has embraced the sector. They you know. They were welcoming of it as a vast majority and that there isn't a lot of concern. I think that, you know, we've been very successful in ensuring that public health and safety have been protected through this whole endeavor. So, I mean, I think that there is hesitance on the part of our elected officials and our regulators. Mm -hmm. I think that they feel much more hesitant than the general public does. But it's getting getting there, making making some headway. Jacqueline, I don't mean to cut you off or put words in your mouth, but that is all the time that we have with you. Thank you so much for your perspective. Jacqueline Pajota is the executive director at the Retail Cannabis Council of B.C.